You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. So when I was in first and second grade, just a couple of years ago, right? There was a TV show that had me spellbound. It blew me away. As a little boy, I was, I was overwhelmed by it. I, I, could, I couldn't miss it. Most of you, I'm guessing, will have never heard of it. But maybe some of you have. It was called Sea Hunt. This was about a scuba diver who would save people by going down underwater and collecting things, doing things. He was, he was a hero. And to me, a little boy in that day and age, the idea that someone could go underwater and breathe was like, wow. I mean, it actually changed the course of my life because I decided as a second grader that I was born to be a scuba diver. Never had been a swimmer even, but I was sure that this was my calling in life. So as I got a little older, I learned to swim. I went to classes and so forth and tried to learn to be a good swimmer. Later, I, when I was old enough to do so, I became a, uh, a lifeguard, Red Cross lifeguard. And, and then after that, I became a WSI, a water safety instructor, because I thought that that would be the right path to take. And of course, then when I was old enough and had the opportunity, I went ahead and started my training to be a scuba diver. Became a scuba diver, an open water scuba diver, which is the lowest certification. And uh, over the years, I have had the privilege of doing hundreds and hundreds of dives all over the world. I have been so fortunate. And uh, I, I'm one of those people that I like to attack something. When I, when I start something, I want to do it well. So I I kept studying and I kept learning and I went to the next level of certification, I advanced. And then after that, I became a a rescue diver. And and following that, I became a dive master. And I taught many people, in fact, some of you probably here today, I taught many people to be scuba divers. So I got to the point, and here's the problem, you get kind of arrogant when you get to that level. You know, someone else tells you you're a diver, you know, compared to what I am, right? It's not the way anybody wants to feel, but here's how it works. You go sign up for a dive somewhere. You're traveling, you sign up for a dive, and you go and you, 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 you sign in for that day for the dive or the multiple dives you're doing, and someone looks at your, at your uh, certification and they know your experience and they go, oh, we have some new divers with us today. Would you take one of them as a buddy? And it's always like, sure, you know, I'm your guy, right? I can do that. So if you don't know, divers always buddy up. So no matter who goes down, you always have a person that you stay in proximity with. So a few years ago, I was down in the Caribbean, and I had signed up for a multiple dive, a three-dive day. And uh, I, we did our first dive and had a good time. And we got back to the boat, and we went to another site. And the dive master came over to me, and he said, hey, we've got a guy who's just kind of all over the map. He's like a, a new diver. Would, 
could we put him with you on this dive? Would you watch him? I said, sure, be happy to. So in the meantime, and I won't go into the detail of this, I've told you some of this story before, but in the meantime, there was a storm that we kind of had to wait out, and while the dive masters were changing the tanks from the first dive to the second dive, what happened is they missed mine. And so when it came time for diving, again, I won't go into all the story, there was a lot of chaos for a moment because we had some snorkelers with us and somebody got sick and we were all trying to help. And then the diver says, hey, let's go. And so we all went overboard. Never I never checked my gauge, which I, I, that's something I would never do, but I never checked my gauge. Well, I, I go down with my buddy and this guy is a brand new diver and I understand he's so excited to see everything. But for those of you who have a toddler, you know when you look away for a moment, and like they're gone. I, I, that's what this guy was like. I mean, I'd look away, where'd he go? And he'd be quite a ways off and then I'd have to go get him, you know, kind of pair up with him again. And I tried to warn him, but as I was 70 feet below the surface, I went to take a breath and there was no air. I checked my gauge quick. Zero. No air. My buddy was unfortunately, 20 yards or more away. And if I would swim toward him, then he might be swimming that way as well, and I would not catch him, which would be deadly. And so I wasn't sure what to do. I just decided at that moment, my chance is to go toward the surface. And I did, and I'm here, so you know I made it. <laughs> I won't go in again to any of the detail. But, but I thought about it, and, and here's, here's the deal. What if I'd have been 70 feet below the surface, out of air, and I'd have said, well, um, I have four certifications. I'll just breathe that. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, I've taught so many other people how to scuba dive. I'll breathe that. Or no, no, I was born to be a scuba diver. I'll breathe that. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Without air, you'll die. Correct. It doesn't matter who you are. Now, that's the text that we come to today in Romans chapter 2. Paul is not talking about scuba diving, but he's talking about the same analogy. He says, some of you Jewish people, you were born chosen people. You've had all the training. You've actually become teachers yourself. You've even been certified circumcision. But if you don't have Christ, you're dead. If you don't have air, you're dead. Now, I'll take it a step further. Paul didn't say this, but I think it's applicable. I think it works very well. I would say to you today, if you are a Christian, you call yourself a Christian, and you were born maybe in a Christian home, and you grew up in a Christian home, and you went to Sunday school, or you even at some point in your life taught Sunday school, and you got your certification, you were baptized, you think, I'm good. But I tell you, without Christ, you've got no air. And you can't count on those other things. That's where we're headed. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 17 as we're going to learn how easy it is. And by the way, I think many of you already know all of this, but I think many Christians in our country and in our world don't get this. And I think this is one of the most important messages that you can share beyond today with others. You get to start counting on your experience and your certifications, and they won't help you when it comes to eternity. Now, if you're taking paper notes today, a lot of you use the blanks. 
and take the paper notes. I made a typo. I want to fix that or have you fix it. If you like keep your notes uh, in a notebook or something and uh, just want to make sure I failed to change the text there. And so that should be fixed. It should say chapter 2 verses 17 to 29. So if you like to keep those, you might want to change that text. Sorry about that. Okay, let's dig in. There are two lessons for the series. You've heard me say them. The common denominator for mankind is sin. We're all sinners. You go to any person in the world at any time, any culture, any generation, and every person is a sin, except Christ. There are are no other exceptions. None of you have said to me in the last four weeks, well, I'm not. No, we're all sinners. We, We know that. Secondly, we should stop accusing those who sin differently. We have a tendency to think, well, You know, I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like that. Where Paul is teaching us here that we all are in the same boat. Now, real quick to review. We've learned in the past few weeks that as sinners, that sin is repulsive to God and to us. In fact, if I ask you to think about some of the sin that you've committed, maybe 30 years ago, maybe yesterday, just to think about that sin, you might say, oh, it's disgusting to even think about it. I wish I could do that over. I'm so sorry I did that. Right, it's repulsive to God, it's repulsive to us. So then Paul lists four different groups of people. He starts with pagans because he wants to shock us. That gets our attention. So he gives us these wild kind of people who live for the day, for the moment. They don't have any guilt, they don't care, they don't know that there's a God, they don't wanna know there's a God. In fact, he actually calls them foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These are those pagans, and about the time you read about those people, you go, wow, I'm glad I'm not like that. He moves to the moral people, and the moral people are those who really do care. In fact, I told you some illustrations a few weeks ago about I've had some, some of my best friends in my life have been people who are not believers, but are very good moral people, and you say, well, they're better than the pagans. Well, when it comes to their lifestyle, yes, but when it comes to their Salvation, no, they are not. And then today we move to the religious people. Paul speaks specifically Jews, but I would say religious Christians. We'll get to that. And then lastly, if you're not in one of those or you don't think you're in one of those first three camps, Paul then uses kind of a broad stroke to say everybody. The entire human race is guilty. Not one of us can save ourselves. We are in trouble. He's building a case, as you've learned. So today we come to this perspective on the Jewish people, and of, as I say Jews, think we're talking also religious Christians. Follow along as I read. I'm going to break the text into three parts. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, comma, but we're not going to continue right now. We'll come back to that. Let's just look at this paragraph and see what Paul is saying. Number one, Paul turns his attention now away from the pagans and the moral and goes right to the Jewish people, the chosen people. Keep in mind, as I said, he's talking to all of us who are Christians as well. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, 
Now, the Jewish people counted on three specific things, and Paul lists each one of them. You probably know what they are. Number one, their Jewishness. You were born a Jew. Now, yes, you can adopt Judaism, but mostly we talk about people who, were, who are born into Judaism. And there's something about it. When someone says, even as a Christian comes to me and says, well, I'm, I was born a Jew. It's like, like wow. That's, it's like a, a double win to think that you have the, you're part of the chosen people and yet you follow Christ. You know, nobody comes to me and says, well, I'm a Gentile. You know, there's nothing you know, good about that, is there? You know, when someone says that, you just say too bad. You see, Judaism is a mark in the scriptures that is like a, a wow. Uh, I'll take you all the way back to Deuteronomy. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them and he chose you, their descendants above all the nations as it is today. You are the chosen people. And many of you are going, I'm a Jew, I'm going to heaven. Secondly, these people had been instructed from the very beginning about God's law. You see, the rest of the world doesn't have it. I know today you can go to any person's home who even claims to be a Christian, even doesn't claim to be a Christian many times, and they're going to have Bibles. In fact, how many of us have 10 or 20 Bibles laying around the house somewhere? But you see, that's not the case in Paul's day. The scrolls are kept in the synagogues, and they're read in the synagogues. People don't have them otherwise. It's not something you have in your home. And so only the Jewish people have the law of God. It's something that is theirs alone. If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. When, when were they taught by the law? Remember Deuteronomy 6? These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, so forth. In other words, always be teaching your kids. From the time they can walk, be teaching your kids. And so these Jewish people says, say, we've known the law since we were toddlers. Thirdly, Many considered themselves to be guides, instructors for Gentiles. Now, let me show you the four things that Paul lists, because it's easy to read through these and not, not catch it. Who did they think they were? Number one, they thought they were a guide for the blind. Who do you think the blind are? Good set. Gentiles. The blind are the Gentiles, so... We're, you are convinced you're a guide, and that's what they believe. That's what they told people. We're guides for those poor Gentiles. Jesus one time said to them, remember, leave them. They are blind guides. They're guides, but they're not good guides, many of them. Secondly, they are a light for those who are in the dark. Who do you think the people in the dark are? Say it. Gentiles. In fact, Isaiah 42, I'll keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So it was even taught them that you guys are supposed to be out and be lights for the Gentiles. Many of them thought they were just because they were Jews. They didn't understand. By the way, what did Jesus tell us in the very first of his teachings? He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The same thing that God told the Jews, he told us. Be a light. Thirdly, they believe themselves to be an instructor of the foolish. Who do you think the foolish are? Gentiles. 
And then lastly, they are to be teachers of children. Now, the word children, it doesn't mean literal children, but people who are immature. Who do you think the immature are? Gentiles, right? So here we have this group of people who see themselves as guides and instructors and teachers. The Jewish people believed these things about themselves because they had scriptures. And the scriptures are knowledge and truth. But you got to catch what Paul says. This is so easy to miss. Is the word of God knowledge and truth? It is, absolutely. But sometimes we think that just having it instead of knowing it and using it. How many Christians do you know who carry a Bible? Maybe to church or Sunday school. And if you said to them, hey, I have a question for you. Would you show me your answer from scriptures? They would be, oh my, no, no. I'll show you where the maps are. They're in the back. But you see, they, they don't use it as knowledge and truth. So that's why Paul says, you have the embodiment. Now that word embodiment is easy to kind of skip over. In the Greek, it's the morphosis. It's the idea that you have a, an appearance. Today, we might say it this way. You guys have a hologram of the Bible. I mean, it looks like you have it. It looks like it's right in front of you, but you really don't have it. Let me show you this. This is the word embodiment here in Romans 2.20 because you have in the law the embodiment. This same word right here is this word right here. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, you look like you got it, but you don't have it. Now, continue after the comma. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Question mark. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Question mark. You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Question mark. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Question mark. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Question mark. Then he says, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now, Paul asked the Jewish people to take a true look at their lives. I, we do that all the time, don't we, as a church? We do it with each other. His word, our walk. Okay, so you know it. Are you living it? And Paul says, okay, so you say you have the scriptures. Let's see how you're doing. Number one, you teach people not to steal. Are you a thief? Now, I know right away most all of you would say, no, I would never walk into a store and take something. But, but Paul's talking about a bigger picture here. I mean, just... This is a good time to talk about it because of tax season, right? Are we thieves? As Christians, are some of us stealing? Are you, are you a thief when it comes to your workplace? Do you bring stuff home with you that really is not yours, but you say, well, but I use it for work without permission? You see, there's many ways to steal and if you say, you shouldn't steal, but you are, what a hypocrite. Question two, you teach to avoid sexual morality or impurity, but are you an adulterer? You see, now you know, because Jesus already taught this. We always thought adultery, says the Jews, was when you actually touched a woman. But Jesus says you don't even have to touch her. You can just look at her. And you can lust for her. So are you teaching not to do that and yet in your heart, 
in your brain, you're doing it. Thirdly, you teach against idolatry or having idols. And you've become a collector. Now, if you say, I don't know what this means, I don't either. No one does. This is something that apparently was unique to that specific time period. You see, if you lived in the Roman Empire during this period of time, there were lots of temples. Many of them, they were not even in use anymore. They came from the Greek period or even before the Greek period or maybe the early Roman period. And so these, these temples sitting around and people, kind of like today, people collect antiques. People would find this old temple and they'd find inside this temple an idol, probably made of stone, and they'd steal it and they'd put it in their house. And then when somebody come over to visit, they'd say, hey, come look at my antique. And Paul says, you, you tell people they shouldn't be involved with idols, and yet you got, you're collecting them and putting it in your house, and you might say, well, I wonder how common that really was. Let me show you something. The book of Acts, chapter 19. Paul is being arrested and says, you have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. So this must have been a common issue. It's not today. I don't think that probably any of you have stolen any idle, have it sitting in your house. But the concept was that's what was going on, and Paul says, are you being a hypocrite? Fourthly, he just kind of takes everything and put, lumps it together. You brag on the law and, you, and your knowledge, but, you but do you live it? Are you living according to what you say? Are you practicing what you preach? I, I heard a sermon this week, and I heard a preacher say this. This is not my quote. This is his. Legal, legalism has no ability to, to restrain sin. And that was like an aha to me. Because I, like probably many of you, grew up in a time period and a culture, a particular culture that was very legalistic. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And as long as you followed the rules, you were good. But you see, the problem was I could never get control of sin because legalism can't help you. The only thing that's gonna help you deal with sin is the Holy Spirit. You boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking it? He says, now here's the major problem for you guys. You see, the Gentiles are mocking you. And they're rejecting your God because you are nothing but a hypocrite. You teach not to steal, you steal. You teach not to commit adultery and you're involved in sexual morality. Who wants your God? He says, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You notice that's in quotes? That's Isaiah 52, verse 3. Verse 5, I'm sorry, Isaiah 52, 5. And so he's saying, you already know this as Jews, but you're, people are making fun of you. By the way, today we say that, don't we? We say, if people watched your life, would they want your faith? Would they want to know Christ? In fact, I've told many people, who are Christians but are not living as Christians, I say to them, don't tell anybody you're a Christian, please. Because all you're going to do is turn people away from the faith because they'll look at you and say, so Christians are hypocrites? That's what Paul's saying. The last part is a little kind of circular, so as I read it, it sounds like you've already read it, but just hang with me. 
Circumcision is value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So that if these, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as those they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, or only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, not by the written code. Written code means God's law, the Old Testament. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Now, I know it's really hard to just read those three paragraphs and go, what? But if you just take it verse by verse, it's real easy. So let me show it to you. Circumcision began as a sign of a covenant. Circumcision is not the covenant. Just because you were circumcised on the eighth day as a man does not make you a child of God. It just was a sign of that your parents were. Today, we do the same thing with baptism, right? When I baptize children, oftentimes I explain it this way. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward cleansing. The cleansing already happened. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that happened. Baptism is a sign of that. Baptism doesn't make you a Christian. It declares that you want to show the world you're a Christian. That's what, that's circumcision. It's just a sign. By the way, before I go on, I think there are many Jewish people who would have said at this point, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm circumcised, thinking that that physical act would make the difference. Circumcision is only valid if one's heart is also circumcised by the Holy Spirit. And when Paul says, but your heart has to be circumcised, you'd say, well, that was probably a new thought. No, it wasn't. All the way back in Deuteronomy, circumcise your hearts, therefore, Big deal if you've lost a piece of physical skin. What matters is that your heart has been cleansed. Thirdly, a chart. I think the chart will help you with this passage. It helped me. So Paul gives multiple examples. If you are a Jew and you are circumcised and you don't obey. Now, when I say don't obey, I don't mean perfectly because none of us are perfect. The point here, don't obey, means you don't even try to live like Christ. You're just not trying to follow what a Christian should be. So you're circumcised and you don't follow God, then you are uncircumcised. You're not circumcised. And what about if you're a Gentile? So so Paul says, if you are a Gentile and you were not circumcised when you were a baby because you weren't born Jewish... And now you do obey. You've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're living it. Again, not perfectly, but your heart's desire is to follow Christ. You obey. Then you are circumcised. By the way, two things here to note. Number one, right now, the first time that these people ever read this letter of Romans, and they're Jewish people, lots of Jewish people living in Rome, they're getting this letter from Paul, they're getting hot under the collar. They're getting really upset. They're they're thinking, Paul, what are you doing saying a Gentile is circumcised? So they're really getting angry. We're going to deal with that next week, okay? Secondly, and this is delicate, I know, but I think it's silly not to say it. 
Over my ministry, I've had multiple men come to me and say, I've come to faith in Jesus Christ. I'm gonna follow him. Do I need to get circumcised at my age? And I always say, go to Romans chapter two, because what's it say? If you're a Gentile and you're not circumcised, if you're, if you're living for Christ, you are circumcised. It doesn't matter about skin or physical things. What matters is your heart. Now, Paul doesn't say this, third line, this is me just giving you an application. But I think it's applicable. I think it works. If you are a Christian, and if you are baptized, and if you are not obedient, if you're not trying to follow Christ with your life, I had a man after one of the services come up to me and say, this is me. What can I do now? And we had a nice conversation about what, what he can do to get back. We can all get back, right? So you have been baptized, but right now you're not obeying, then you're not baptized. Because baptism, getting wet, is not what matters. Following Christ is what really matters. So the last thing here, and Paul closes with this, such a person's praise is not from other people. Why would he say praise? Because the word Judah, by the way, we get the word Jew from the first half of the word Judah. That's where it comes from. The word Judah means praise. So the Jewish people are going, well, I'm praise. That's what, that's what it means to be a Jew. And Paul says, well, well, make sure you got the right focus here. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. If you are a follower of Christ today, in other words, you are, man or woman, circumcised in your heart. You're following Christ. What would be the big lesson from this passage for you? I'd say quit worrying about what other people think. Stop seeking man's praise. And just think about what God thinks. Because that's what matters. Okay, that's the passage. I will take you to something that John tells us after Jesus was teaching in John chapter 12, because I think it really helps kind of to lock in what I just told you. At the same time, many even among the leaders believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. If that describes you, fix it. It doesn't matter what people think. It matters what God thinks about your Christian life. Now, let's just go back in our minds to the first time this was ever read. Somebody's reading it to this people, these group of people in this big house, the Roman church. And they've just read the passage I read to you, and what would a Jew say? <laughs> so, so what's the point of being a Jew then, Paul? You're just throwing everything away, the baby and the bathwater. What's the advantage of being a Jew? You know what the next verse is gonna say? We'll start it next week. Here we go. What advantage then is there being a Jew? You see, he knows how they're thinking. What's the point of being a Jew? You threw away circumcision. What value is there in circumcision? And you see what Paul says? Much in every way. Ah, oh, there's value, but just not what you think it is. And we'll go there next week. So I'll close with this. 
You might have come from a good Christian home. Maybe you even grew up in a good Christian home. You probably attended Sunday school and Bible school regularly. Maybe you've even taught Sunday school or been a helper in Sunday school. And somewhere along the line, you were baptized, maybe as a child. But if you were without Christ, you have no heir, and you're going to die. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone, and not in any of the things that you've ever done or anything you've ever been born into. So if you're counting on any of these things to get you into heaven, you're going to die. You need to follow Christ. I'd like to lead you in prayer. Our Father in heaven, what a joy it is, what a privilege it is to be able to be gathered here in your name, to be able to call, be called by your name, Christian, little Christs. And I pray, Father, that even as we leave this place today, we would be constantly reminded through your Holy Spirit to act like your son as much as possible. Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who've been counting on the wrong things and who are without air, so to speak. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts right now. I pray that you would draw them to yourself and they would realize that their salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. For many of us here, Father, we have been Christians for many years and sometimes we get too caught up in what other people think of us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would remind us of that. Our Father in heaven, we seek your praise and yours alone. It's in the name of your Son who paid for our salvation that we pray. Jesus Christ, amen.